0: We're blessed to have Barry back. Woo! On the rare occasion that he's in the country.
1: That's true. That's it is true, true isn't yeah, it? Yeah, There's
0: a lot yeah, of going yeah, overseas yeah, and, yeah. and doing ministry, so it's good to have you here, mate.
1: We do have the occasional holiday with it as well. I yes. have to be honest.
0: I was just trying to make you sound more holy. But okay, that, it's all right. Okay. Um, listen, sorry, guys. We do need a whiteboard up here. If that obscures your view of the screen. Um, tough uh there's now i can do about that right now so (laughs) so anyway mate can i pray for you yeah please please that'd be great okay father we want to thank you for barry we want to thank you for the word that you've put in his heart and the way that you give him such a um you know a powerful way of delivering that word and this morning lord we we choose to be open and receptive to what you are going to say through him to us in jesus name amen Mm. bless you
1: Thanks, Adrian. Paula and I were with some friends not long ago, and these friends are a young couple, and she's been unable to have children. But they've come up with a medical solution, and a friend of hers donated eggs. And uh, I think there were about six eggs that were donated. And through the marvels of medical science, uh, this egg was... um, fertilised, and then implanted in her womb. And she actually carried the baby to birth, and they had a little girl. Now, the thing is, there's still some eggs left. And so as they're raising this little girl and enjoying that, this friend of ours desires more children. And so they begin to do the same process again and use some of those eggs. And unfortunately, none of them took. And so she would carry the baby for a little while and then she would lose it. There's one egg left. And so we were sitting with them and we were having this conversation and the husband was in a hard place because every time that there was a loss of the embryo, There was a period after that where their their relationship became intensely emotional and entangled and difficult. And I could see his heart, and his heart was, I don't want to go through that anymore. We have this wonderful child that will do me. But in her heart, she wanted that one last egg. And I'll never forget what he said at the end of that conversation. He looked at me and Paula and he said, the heart wants what the heart wants. And I guess if I had to summarize what I'm going to speak about this morning, that would be it. There's something about what happens in our heart that that really empowers us, drives us through life. But lots of time, we're not even aware of what is going on inside our heart. In the Bible, the heart is the epicenter of who you and I are. In fact, it's the fulcrum of our fundamental longings, the things that we deeply long for. I don't know about you, but in my life, when I've come across those longings, they've troubled me because sometimes those longings, I had a sense, would never be fulfilled. And so what I did is I tended to push them down and to push them away from me and never begin to examine the language of the heart in that area. These longings for me were were like a hunger. They weren't just a curiosity. They, They were a craving for sustenance, not just a puzzle that needed to be solved. But what was going on in my heart and what goes on in your heart? what we believe in our heart drives our wants and our desires. We don't always know what they are. And I have not been good at listening to the conversation of my heart. I've been quite hard on it. There's a quote by a guy called Blaise Pascal. And this is what he says. The heart has its reasons which reason knows nothing of. We know the truth, not only by the reason, but by the heart. What goes on in our heart is incredibly significant to us. But something else can be going on in our head. And so we can believe something in our head, but our heart says something different. Guess which one wins? It's what my friend said, the heart wants what the heart wants. About 18 months ago, a group of people set about to sort of demolish my reputation. They did this by saying that I was intending to do something that I had no intention of doing. They attacked my integrity. And some of you know I've been an accountant during my working life. And the way they did that, they said that some of the tr- some financial transactions, I forget the word they used, they were irregular. And these financial transactions were ones that I had an overall responsibility for. The thing that really got to me, though, was that these people, they know me. And I would sit in my ruminating silences and I would think, if they know me, how can they think that I would do the things that they're accusing me of doing? Couldn't they have checked with me first? My response was not pleasant. (laughs) You know, I'm the type of person in my makeup, if I'm wrong, I tend to fall on my sword and fall in a heap. But if I have a sense that I'm right, I can be very formidable. And uh, Paula's laughing over there. She knows what it's like. And I can remember some battles I've had with the tax department when I've been hiding things that I think, if they find that out, I've lost. I'd be quite complacent, uh, quite compliant with them, and very helpful. But if I thought I was right, I would be uh, quite furious, actually. And so my response was not pleasant. I knew that I was hanging on. I, I knew that the anger, the legitimate anger I had, needed to be let go. But but I hung on to it, and I let that anger begin to fester, and uh, it produced a resentment. Some of my conversations, I was cruel in my responses and the seed of bitterness began to blossom in my life. You look at me and I look at you and we can say to each other this, it's very clear in God's word that he wants us to forgive. I know that. I know that up here, but I have been struggling for 18 months. I'm even looking at this, can you forgive and then unforgive? Can you forgive just a little bit and not that bit? I am really struggling in this area. And so what I thought I would do is share a bit of my struggle and some of the things I've learned on the way, and then I'm gonna get Paula up later and, and maybe you can help me to understand what's been going on in my life. Because I know that whenever I have a conversation with one of them, it all comes up, those feelings, if something happens, an event, a decision's been made, it just comes rising up. And so my head says, you must forgive. But something else in me says, that's not going to happen. So what's my aim this morning? I want to share with you my, my learning and the struggle. And I, I, as happens in my life, and I'm sure it happens in your life, as we ask God into these places, and I say, Lord, I don't know what's going on, I don't know... I know what I should be doing, but it's not happening. He begins to bring things into my life and begins to minister to me. It may be a conversation. It may be something that's happened. It may even be... A mi- he just moves in mysterious ways, but I know that he will come into that place in my life. He gave me a couple of books to read. You Are What You Love by James Smith. A very good book if you want something to read. That would be very helpful. And then this one, and forgive the title, Effortless Forgiveness. You know where I'm heading, do That's exactly what I was after. And it's a bit of a misnamer. That book was very helpful, Ed and Joshua Smith. And then I read a book called Emotional Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scarzero, Incredibly helpful to me. So God's bringing these things into my life. Paula and I ran a small group On marriage, and we went through a series written by John and Stacey Eldridge called Love and War. And we've been doing that every Thursday night for the past eight weeks. Really helpful stuff came into my life. I mean, in that series, they talked about the forgiveness between spouses. It's been really encouraging and helpful. God uses it. I do know that I need to forgive. That's an unequivocal, unequivocal principle in scripture I think even out there in society people understand that forgiveness is a good thing that it's necessary that somehow if we don't forgive we get locked up in something and sometimes when you see on TV when something horrendous has happened to a family and they look in the camera and they say I'll never forgive them and there's a hardness about their faith face I feel sorry because I know that they're locked up in a prison so what is forgiveness? Could I have the first slide please? Do I need to look at, okay. There we go. Well, I love using Greek, I don't know much about it, but you've got it up there. <laughs> the Greek word aphemi means, the root meaning is to cut off or to sever, to release or to send away, and it comes from two Greek words, apo from and "hemi" to send. To send from, to cut it off, to sever it. And when we look at Matthew 18, Jesus uses a metaphor for forgiveness. He uses the, a debt. In other words, a debt is forgiven. A debt is cut off. Something is severed. Something is left behind. And the forgiver bears the loss. Forgiveness is not a few things, and let me just go through them. Got a, got a couple up there. It's not restoration. The right, uh, The wrong is not right. It's not removed. It still remains. It's not reconciliation. Forgiveness may open the pathway or the doorway to reconciliation, but forgiveness is not reconciliation. It doesn't guarantee that you'll be reconnected with the one that you are forgiving. Forgiveness is not contingent on the cooperation of the other party either. What they do with it is what they do with it. Forgiveness is about you letting go, severing, cutting off and when we forgive someone if we give a general forgiveness that's usually not effective and the reason I know this is on occasions I've had to go back to Paula and ask her forgiveness and she's quite cruel actually she makes me list down the things that I want to forgive and be very specific about it and so that's been helpful for me over the years because it's easier to say, oh, forgive me for that old horrible stuff that I did to you. But when you have to start nailing it and narrowing it down, it makes a difference. So it's not general. Be specific. It tends to work better. And forgiveness is not attached to the memory of what happened because we can't change that. Forgiveness is about changing the lens at which we look at that event. It's about changing the perspective we have about it. It's about changing it from our heart's perspective to what God wants, the truth. And the forgiver in the end of that process, he's the one that's set free. He's the one that's been released from prison. Okay, so here am I, I'm standing there, God, I know I need to forgive. But every time I have a conversation with these people, it all comes up, all those horrible feelings. How am I going to do it? What's going on? I need help. How is this going to happen in my life? What was God's first intervention? We had a couple in our home. And when this couple, we were doing a marriage weekend and Paula and I were talking with them over the weekend and we use little picture cards to help people to bypass the rational and get a little bit more into the heart of things, to the emotion and to the feeling. And I don't know why, I can't even remember what the question was that Paula asked, but we all had to go and pick up a card, and I picked up this one. You may not be able to see it, but it's a picture of a police card. You know, I don't even know why I picked that up. But it was almost as if the card said, pick me. And so I went over and I picked it up, and then we began to talk about the reasons we had for choosing that card. And I can remember... The, the the wife in the conversation began to talk about her card and I could see clearly the shame that was wrapped up in her life and then I looked at my card and I realised that God was connecting me to my shame I'd never seen that before I'd never, if you'd have asked me, do you, you have a problem with shame? I would never have, I would have said, no, no, I'm okay with that. But for some reason, this one got to me. See, it's a police card. And part of the, the messages of my youth was you can't make a mistake. You can't be wrong. You can't be caught out. And so this card, God used it. What's going on in here? What's happening for me? And so that was the first thing that prompted me to start thinking about where God wanted me to go. And then Peter Scarcero's book, he has a devotion with it. And I read this devotion. Could I have that second side? And it was a passage from James 1. It's one that I'm very familiar with. I, I can remember in my teenage years learning it in the Phillips translation. But this is what it says. Consider it a sheer gift, friends when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. So don't try and get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you may become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. So in, in Scarcero said in his little devotion there, you know, without the tests and challenges and life, we would have no faith, our faith would not be tested. But he then quoted something from Oswald Chambers, and this is what arrested my attention. It is not true to say that God wants to teach us something in our trials. Through every cloud, He brings our way. He wants us to unlearn something. You know, Sometimes something will just come at you and the Spirit of God will take it and it will just arrest your attention. I needed a different perspective to look at that passage in James and what Chambers did for me. It wasn't about learning from my trials, which is how my pattern would have been. It was about unlearning something. And so God was saying to me, Barry, you need to unlearn some things here. What did I need to unlearn? So that was my next thing. God brings into my life another. And I'll have slide three things. And this is a passage from Philippians and Paul is praying to the, for the Philippians and he says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And then he says in Ephesians 3.19, and again a prayer, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. All the years up to that point in my life, I'd been approaching scripture with a rational approach. Uh, I looked at it through what I could understand intellectually, what I could understand with my head. I remember Descartes' quote, I think, therefore I am. Emotions and feelings for me were unreliable. That was the way that I was raised. You you just did not rely on your feelings. You needed to to sort of push them away. They were troublesome things. And my longings and desires became impossible to connect with. I had to pick up that card to connect with that feeling of shame in my life because they were so far removed from me. They were, were tucked away under a well-reasoned layer of rationalism. Paul says in that prayer to the Philippians, and I'm just abbreviating it now, he, he says, I love in order to know. He's not saying I know in order to love. And then in Ephesians, he says that there is a love that surpasses, is beyond understanding. When God speaks to us, it's usually not in an audible voice. I doubt whether any of you here have heard God speaking to you in an audible voice. The God of heaven lives inside of us and he speaks to our heart. It's the language of the heart that is uniquely ours with God and that's where he speaks to us and as I look back over my Christian journey I haven't been fluent in the language of my heart I've been more more concerned about well, how can I reason that, how can I understand that, how can I put that in place and consequently I have had difficulty knowing what my heart wants or what my heart longs for I go back to my friend's statement, the heart wants what the heart wants. Did I know what my heart wanted in this situation? Well, I knew what God wanted, but something was happening here that I didn't understand and I couldn't connect with. So I had a dilemma. My head was clear, I must forgive. And the scripture says that. Even our human philosophy philosophy says that to err is human, to forgive divine. But every time I had a conversation with these people, every time I met them, every time an event happened, these strong feelings came up. The epicentre, the heart of me, who I am, in there I had a strong belief that conditioned my... uh, that conditioned my mind and I was not free. I was a captive to my circumstances. I'm gonna get Paula to come up now and we're gonna use the whiteboard. You, some of you may know Paula's a counsellor, so in a sense that she's gonna give me a bit of understanding of what's going on for me and I'm gonna share that with you and actually I'm gonna ask that you might give a bit of feedback, you might be able to help me out here. In a couple of areas.
2: That's a volcano. <laughs> We've introduced the volcano.
1: Can you before. see that, guys? A little bit. <laughs> I'll
2: try and sort of step back so you can see. Um, I've, I've not been a fly on the wall. I've been part of this journey with Barry and I've actually struggled in this area myself with with these people. But when you listen to his story, what did you see coming out the top of the volcano? If you were a fly on the wall and you were witnessing his responses to the hurt that happened to him, what sort of behaviours would you see coming out the top? Anger, yeah, absolutely.
1: There was a little bit of that, yes.
2: (laughs) What else? Frustration. What else? Justification, that's yeah, a
1: great. good one. You know, Paul, it was a just it was an indignation. How dare they? It was almost it was contemptuous. How dare you do that to me? Yeah. Mm,
2: yeah. Somebody else said something over here. Resentment. Resentment,
1: yes. Oh, a little bit of that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you having fun, yeah, gave for break, on, <laughs> <laughs> Go on, gave it.
2: Confusion, yes. Absolutely. For
0: me it
2: would be disappointment. Disappointment, all those. And I think I heard you say bitterness.
1: Yeah, mm. yeah, bitterness there. You know, when you wake up in the middle of the night and it's the first thing that comes to you and you begin to ruminate over and over and what I would do is I would go over conversations, I would be picking flaws in the logic, I'd be picking flaws in the facts. It was just relentless. So,
2: rumination. Mm. Any others you'd like to add?
1: No, that... Sorry?
2: Disillusionment. Yes. Yeah, there's
1: a bit of that too,
2: yeah. ill How do you spell that? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, looks different up here.
1: <laughs> I did say in a couple of my response I was quite cruel with someone. Wow. So it was, it was, what was that one?
2: Vindictive, yes. i probably struggled with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for break, it's all right, oh, it's a free hit. really coming. <laughs> What was that? Self-righteous. Yeah, yeah. Self righteous. Oh, look at this. OK, <laughs> that's enough. You, Barry. <laughs> right,
1: You've done well. You've done well. <laughs> Where? Yes, Chris. What?
2: what was that? Sadness.
1: Yeah. I would probably there was put
2: sad. that down here.
1: Yes, my darling daughter, power struggle, struggle. struggle.
2: yes, how well you know him.
1: (laughs) Have we had any of those?
2: (laughs) Uh, We could be here all morning.
1: (laughs) Where does the power of the volcano come from? It's down below. So, these are what I would call secondary emotions.
2: These what, ones up here. Yeah. yeah.
1: What are the ones underneath that really pack a punch?
2: <coughs> that provide the energy for these. Shame.
1: Yeah. Shame. Rejection. Yep. Hurt. Yeah. Hurt. yeah. yeah thank you, Graham. Betrayal, yes.
2: Any others? Emptiness? Emptiness? Yep. Yeah.
1: Misunderstood, yep.
2: That's a really, that's a really powerful one. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Thank you,
1: mate. That, that was the one, yeah. When someone set up here... Uh, oh, it was Beck, wasn't it? Power struggle. I thought automatic. I felt powerless. I could not change this situation. Nothing about me could change it. It just rolled on and I had no control over it. So, so what have we got there? So, are there any others that, that you would add to power. this? Isolation? Isolation, yeah. Alone, yeah. Not good enough. I, oh. Who said that one? Okay, yeah. I'm going to put that here with this one, but it's, but it's part of it, yep. Any there, others,
2: Barry? Yeah,
1: you know, there was loss. There was, these, these were people that I know well and there was grief, there was a rift, and there was there was a loss and you know the other feeling I had was inadequate one of them said to me if your older brother was here this would never have happened so that made me feel really good <laughs> and, and so inadequate I felt a powerful sense of inadequacy because the situation well, it was not pleasant.
2: Any others down there?
1: No, that'll probably do that.
2: So, so how did these become the solution for this?
1: Mm. You see, these are these are the ones that went all, in. In a, in a sense, they were the reasoning ones. I use these ones to keep a distance from these ones. I didn't want to feel this stuff. And so I kept the anger going. And while I was angry, I couldn't, didn't have to feel this. And so these became a solution for me. Because what I started to think is, OK, I've got a problem if I forgive. And the problem is, I'll hurt again. I don't want to do that. The other problem is, if I forgive them, they'll get away with it. And the other one I had is, if I could forgive them, somehow I'll lose control of what's happening. And so my solutions that I worked out was, well, I won't forgive them. And when, if I don't forgive them, I won't get hurt again. Because I'll be at a distance, I'll have all of this anger and resentment build up, and I'll push them away. I won't forgive them, I'll hold them to account and I'll punish them but you know they don't care they don't even know what I'm thinking (laughs) but that's exactly what I'm doing what was that what Liz did you say something
2: please share
1: And the other thing is, if I don't forgive them, I'll maintain some sense of control. And, you know, that, that, that's a... So a f- is
2: that to stop feeling this?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: So, yeah. to not feel powerless, I'll control. I'll control how I come at them. Yeah.
1: You know what it is with the, with the control thing? Is if I'm in control of the situation, nothing will surprise me. I'll be able to keep things in place and nothing will come out of the left field for me. And so I'll have that sense of control. And so that was incredibly important for me. And the one on the hurt just tied back into the hurt. Yeah, What really hurt me was those people didn't see me. All they saw, all they valued me for is what I did, not who I am. They refused to see who I am. And, and you know, how could they think that of me? It wasn't even in my... Uh, radar to do what they've been accusing me of doing and so and you know the control one and then if they get away with it what does that mean I, I need to punish them and so I, w- I would sit there of a night and I would just go back over the facts always trying to work out where they'd got it wrong and where I'd got it right and the w- I did that again and again because what did it do it kept me away from this stuff it kept me with my shame hidden and, uh, and I didn't have to face the fact that because what they were really saying to me is you can't be trusted and not even the good that I was doing was good enough. And so with the hurt they didn't see me, with my shame not even my good was good enough and then with the powerlessness. If I can't control this, what will happen? And you know, that one's dogged me all of my life. You know, I started to think about, you know, what was the little agreement that I made with Satan there, is control is my security. If I'm in control, I feel secure.
2: So can I write that there? Because that's the powerhouse. <laughs> control is my security. Yeah. So and that gives the energy.
1: Yeah, yeah and with the hurt one i'm not accepted Mm -hmm. and then with the shame one what it really boiled down to as god revealed things to me uh, yeah i was not good enough but i was abandoned because one of the people in that situation was very close to me and it was as if that person threw me under the bus. And so I felt alone and that was an important relationship to me. I felt abandoned. And so those things were running around inside in my heart and Satan has used those agreements again and again in my life. And you know, when that incident happened to me, These agreements just didn't come at that time. They had happened a long time in the past. And so I looked at that situation through the eyes, the lens of my heart, the agreements that I had inside of me. And it's not the agreements that God wanted me to have. He wanted me to be free, to love, to forgive, to trust Him, to be fully alive. But these agreements in here, they are the ones that were running my life, just sitting there under the radar, but controlling things. So in my head, I'm saying, I need to forgive. But my heart's saying things like this, you're not good enough. No one wants to see you. And then if you lose control, you're not going to be secure. Who do you trust? Who can you trust? Those are the agreements that were running my life. And those are not the agreements that God has for you and for me. God says, Barry, you're loved. God says, Barry, you're as secure as you can get. And God says, Barry, you're forgiven. So how come those agreements with God are not in my heart? I am convinced that only God can change those beliefs in my heart and I guess in your heart as well. They've been put there way back in time. Usually as you enter your teenage years, they're in place and they're running the show. You're not being conformed to the image of Christ. You're being conformed to the image of the messages that you've adopted. And Satan sits there and he just claps his hands because he can get into those agreements and he can build a castle, an impregnable castle, one that cannot be assailed. And he will use them every time in your life when a situation comes up just like came up with mine you know when Paula and I realised that we hadn't forgiven each other for some past hurts and we faced that situation it took a number of months to get through it but once we got through that and we experienced each other's forgiveness it unlocked an incredible intimacy in our relationship that we had not experienced before I am convinced that only God changes those beliefs and I am convinced that forgiveness will be elusive for me until he does that work in my heart it says in Matthew 18 35 that we have to forgive from the heart and so God's interested in that epicenter of who we are And you know, I know that that transaction that God will have done his work in my life when I'm able to look at those people and I'll have compassion for them. And when we come in connection with each other and we have conversations, these things won't be coming up in my life. I won't need them. I will have a different message in that heart. I'll know that I am secure, that I am loved and that I am forgiven. All I can offer God in that transaction is a willingness to let the process begin and a willingness to renounce those beliefs that I've adopted in my life because they're destructive in my walk with God. Perhaps if we've been talking, you've been very good at listing mine down there and helping me out with mine, but maybe they touch some of yours as well. Each of us have these little messages, these agreements that are just running in the background and controlling our life. God wants to deal with them. We're gonna have communion now. What a, a fantastic opportunity. You see, my unlearning tells me to ask Jesus at this stage to reveal what those messages are in my heart. And I pray that you might be able to do that as you walk to the communion table. Lord, what are the messages that I've adopted in my heart that are running my life, that are contrary to the messages that you have for me? And what we might do is, as we take the bread, we might ask Jesus, what are those messages? Bring them to my mind. Bring them to my heart that I might be at this time able to renounce them and to name them for what they are. They are lies. They are not true. And then as we take the wine, we might ask Jesus to tell us, how do you see me? How do you see my heart? He'll speak in the language of the heart but I know that he will speak to you. You know, when Jesus was in the synagogue, he asked them to bring the scroll to him. And he opened it at at Psalm 61. And as he read, he said, and he was referring to himself, I have come to mend the brokenhearted and to set the captive free. When Jesus does that work in our life, we are free, fully alive to what God has for us. Take communion.